way back in the first week when we started this series called The New Normal. We were already sick of hearing that word way back then, so it probably hasn't gotten any better. But we have two weeks to go. We have this week and next week to finish up our study of the new normal. And so today we're going to talk about Daniel's life and the courage that Daniel demonstrated in his new normal. And for ourselves, we'll take some cues from how Daniel approached his life uh, for our own lives today. All right, I got an assignment for you. Hopefully you're sitting close to someone or you can get, get close to someone and just talk about these things. I just came up with hopefully some things that you can relate to, maybe other things that you can't, but a list of eight things. And what I'd like you to do is with the people that you're sitting close to, just sort of figure out an order in which you would rank these things as far as how much courage they take to do them, all right? So just let's read through the list real quickly. Trying a new food. My thought as I was writing that was that when anybody calls something mystery meat, are you courageous enough to eat it? Okay, maybe just kind of just to forgive it some framework. All right, asking someone out on a date, how much courage does that take? Doing something risky like skydiving or zip lining or bungee jumping, whatever you want to say there. Uh, asking for a promotion or a raise at work. Helping a person or animal in need, even if it puts you in danger. Making a public presentation or a speech, if you want to call it that. Changing majors or careers. And then signing up for a class that you know is difficult or intimidating because you went on, is it still called Rate My Professors, right? And found out that that's going to be a really tough class, right? Okay, go ahead and just talk to each other. Kind of come up with your list. There's no right or wrong answers, which is the best part of this, but just kind of out of interest. Go ahead and talk about those eight things. Which takes the most courage? Okay, it sounds like the conversation is dying down just a little bit. Here's what I'd love to do. I would just love in your group, if someone wants to just share which one you think is, takes the most courage and why, I would love to hear it. Anybody brave, anybody courageous enough to share what your group talked about? Jacob in the back, go ahead. Okay, very good. So I, maybe some of you have been there, right? You, you've worked somewhere for a year or more and haven't had a review or anything and you're still making the same wage when you first showed up and you know you probably have the right to go in and ask for maybe a little bit more money or a promotion in that case, whatever you want to say, but you're walking that fine line between being confident in what you bring to the job and not being rude or self-seeking or things like that, right? That's kind of a tough thing to do. Anybody else have that one at the top of their list? Okay, a couple other people. Anything else? Anyone, anyone else want to share? Oh, Louisa. Asking someone out on a date. So I just have to tell you a real brief story. Yesterday I was getting the oil changed in my car and so I sat in the waiting room and a television show came on about dating during COVID. It was an entire show about how you have to date during COVID. And I thought to myself, God is so good that I'm already married because I couldn't have done any of the things that they were saying that I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> so yes, I can imagine that that's a really tough one, right? How do you, especially in COVID days, how do you ask someone out on a date or how do you do that? Okay, anybody else have that at the top of their list? Okay, a few others had that at the top of their list. One more, let's take one more. Anybody else have something else? Emily. Okay, yeah, I think a lot of people just think it sounds, maybe you, many of you don't even think it sounds fun, um, 
I, I was talking to someone not too long ago who, who did some skydiving, and they said it was great until those few seconds before you actually had to jump out of the plane. And then it was like, okay, this is a little bit fearful. I'm not sure what I'm doing up here. And it was fine after that, they said, but just for those few minutes, they weren't even sure if they were going to make it out. You know what courage is, right? You, you understand that sometimes there are things in life that just take a little bit of extra talking yourself up, talking yourself into doing something. And I suppose what I should have done tonight is put on the list praying when the government has made it illegal to do so. Because that's the story that we're going to talk about tonight with Daniel and his courage. Is even though the king made an order that nobody could pray to any other person or God other than the king himself, uh, Daniel was courageous and continued to pray to what he knew as the only God, uh, his God, the God of all people. Let's take a look at the verses from Daniel chapter 6. We'll read verses 6 to 12. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. If you remember back to last week, we talked a little bit about the idea that, that Daniel had been in line for these promotions. He had been set over, one of three administrators set over the 120 provinces of the Medo-Persian Empire. And because he ruled so well, there was plans in the works that he was going to be set over the entire kingdom. Well, that aroused the jealousy of the other administrators. And so they came up with a plan to discredit Daniel. First, they scoured his life to see if they could find something to discredit him, and they could not. And so they knew the only choice they had left was to use Daniel's religion against him. Interestingly, they come to the king and say, um, all of us, all of the advisors agree. And of course, we know at least one advisor that wouldn't have agreed with that, and that would have been Daniel. But all of us agree that you should have this edict that no one can pray to anybody except to you. Everyone has to pray to the king for the next 30 days. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, to just think about how those kings, the kings of that day, would have thought of themselves. To issue an edict to their entire, every person that they ruled and say, uh, for the next 30 days, if you're praying, it better be to me or you will be punished. Daniel was consistent. He knew what was, he probably knew what was happening. When he heard the decree, he probably could figure out where it had come from. And yet Daniel did nothing different. Three times a day, every day, with the windows open to Jerusalem, he continued to pray. I marvel at that a little bit because is it safe to say that Daniel could have avoided trouble if he simply would have shut his windows? 
He still could have prayed, but not do it in such a public way. But, but what Daniel didn't want to do is somehow give the impression that he was changing the, what, what he was doing, that he was changing the way that he went to God every single day. He could have avoided that trouble, but chose not to. In his, his courage in God, he knew that God would take care of him one way or the other. Of course, the plan worked. It was exactly what the administrators wanted to do. Daniel was trapped. He was praying to someone other than the king, and they came to King Darius and said, hey, did, didn't you make a decree that people couldn't do this? And this Daniel guy, well, he's still doing it. And now we learned something a couple different times in those verses that was peculiar about Medo-Persian law. Once something was put in writing, it was irrevocable. It could not be repealed. And what you kind of figure out as you see this story unfold is the king, though he had a huge ego, didn't really think this all the way through. It seems as if the king was a little duped by his own administrators and satraps too because the next thing we read is that he tries until sundown to figure out a way to get Daniel out of the trouble that he's in. He realizes that he was tricked as well. Well, it doesn't work. And so let's look at the middle of the story, verses 16 to 22. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Though he tried, the king was left with no choice. He had to throw Daniel into the lion's den. He had made the edict. It couldn't be repealed. And so in Daniel went. I think it's interesting to note how much this bothered King Darius. Maybe you see it a little bit in his parting words to Daniel, may, may your God, whom you serve continually, save you. We certainly see it in what he did when he went back to the palace, or maybe better, what he didn't do. He didn't eat. He didn't have any entertainment brought to him. He spent a sleepless night worried about Daniel, and then we're told at the first light of dawn, he runs back to the lion's den hoping against hope that somehow Daniel survived the night. And as he calls out to Daniel, I wonder how surprised he was to hear that there was a miracle that was done that evening. That night, Daniel was saved from the lions, that God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. I think you know the aftermath. Though Daniel was preserved, do you remember what happened to the administrators who had set Daniel up? when they were thrown into the den of lions, when that was their judgment, before they even hit the floor, got to the ground of the lion's den, they were mauled and devoured by the lions. Made the miracle even that much more amazing. We had King Darius say to his entire kingdom that they needed to honor and reverence the God of Daniel. And then the last verse of the chapter, chapter 6, reminds us that Daniel prospered under the reign of King Cyrus. Daniel, in his courage in God, 
in his courage to stand up for what was right, even though he knew he might suffer, saw God's protective hand, saw that God would save him because, as Daniel himself said, he was found innocent of those charges. I think about those kind of schemes, and I think about the devil when I think about schemes. And in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes this, that, that we need to put on the full armor of God to take our stand against the devil's schemes. That's who we're up against. We're up against Satan who really wants nothing more than to push us to one of two extremes. Either the extreme that we don't need Jesus because we're good enough on our own, or to the extreme of despair, thinking there's nothing that we can do. And it's not just Satan that is one of our enemies, it's the world that we live in. And it's part of us too. Our hostile, sinful nature against God, all of those things work to push us away from God. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that everything that's happened over the last six months was the devil's doing. But I think you can come to this conclusion that he certainly knows how to use things that happen in this world to try and drive people away from God, doesn't he? When people feel like there's no hope, when people feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, when frustration sets in, when you wonder if things are ever going to go back or is this the new normal that we're going to have to deal with all the time, when you wonder if you're ever going to have an in-person class again, or whether graduation, what that's going to look like in a few months or years. It's easy for the devil to use those things to say, see, God doesn't love you as much as you think he does. Because if he did, he wouldn't let all this stuff happen, right? The devil loves to do that to us. He loves to take the things that happen in this world and make us think that somehow God isn't in control, that somehow God doesn't know what he's doing. He wants to make us feel like it's hopeless, like we're hopeless, like there's nothing that God can do for us, it's too late. Here's where Daniel's courage gives us some hope and some help. First of all, look at what Daniel did. When the edict came down that he wasn't supposed to pray to anybody but the king, look at what he did, he prayed. He prayed and there's two things that he prayed for. Number one, he prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. Really? He just was told that it was illegal for him to pray to his God and that if he did so, he might be thrown into the den of lions and yet Daniel prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. He understood that God was still in control. And then he prayed for help. He prayed that God would help him, that God would help him through whatever he was about to face. And that's certainly good advice, good encouragement for us too, right? When frustration comes, when we wonder, when we despair, take it to the Lord. He invites you to come to him in the day of trouble. He'll deliver you and you will honor him. But Daniel's courage really went one step further. He, he trusted God's power. He trusted that God could shut the mouths of the lions, that, that nothing could harm Daniel unless God wanted it to. And that's true for you and me too. God's power is still at work in this world today. God's power that we know so well, that we trust because we see it in the Jesus who hung on the cross for our sins. We see it in the grave that Jesus left empty to guarantee that our sins are washed away forever. That the devil can't accuse us anymore because the payment for sin has already been made by Jesus. That's God's love for us in Jesus. 
And that same power that, that God demonstrated by shutting the mouths of lions still is at work as Jesus is in control of everything in this world. You have nothing to worry about, nothing to fear because your, hand, your life is in the hands of our almighty God. And here's what God promises you. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing is too great for him to overcome. No challenge that you're facing, no frustration that we feel during this time is something that has escaped God's notice. It's not anything that he can't handle and he already has a plan to prosper you. A plan to make sure that all things will work for your good just as he has promised. I want you to read these words with me this passage from Ephesians chapter 3 that describes God's power and how we can simply trust that everything that God is doing is working for our good. Look at these words from Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. Let's read these words together, please. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I love that word, immeasurably. What God can do can't be measured by human standards. The power that God has to go to work in your life is something that's beyond our comprehension. And it's power that's proven in the love that Jesus has for you and for me. A couple quick takeaways for you to hopefully take home with you tonight. Number one, although we will face difficult times on earth, we worship a God who shut the mouths of lions. That means whatever's happening in your life, God can take care of that as well. And nothing is impossible with, for him. Number two, God has done immeasurably more for us than we could imagine. He already sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. And as the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, that means nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of the great miracles, the most, one of the most astounding miracles that Jesus performed was when he walked on the water on the Sea of Galilee. Remember that? The disciples were on the boat. Jesus comes walking to them in the water in the middle of the night. Do you remember what they thought? It's a ghost. They were so afraid. They didn't know what to think. Until Jesus spoke these words, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And it worked. Do you remember what happened next? Remember that Peter actually asked if he could come walk on the water and Jesus invited him to do so and Peter was actually walking on the water until his focus changed. And instead of looking at Jesus, he saw the wind and the waves and he began to sink. Jesus reached down, pulled him back up, stopped the, stopped the wind from howling. Power over everything, right? Right? That's true in your life too. Those words that he spoke to the disciples are words that he speaks to you every single day. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Amen. Mm -hmm.